0: Alive and Kicking is proudly supported by Classic Football Shirts, the home of classic, rare and retro football shirts. For 100% genuine non-reproduction retro shirts, head to classicfootballshirts.co.uk and use the bonus code AK90s to receive a 10% discount on your order.
1: Welcome to Alive and In, the 90s football podcast. The podcast that's more 90s than a politician who likes to make love with just his Chelsea socks on. My name's Ash Rose and tonight we're going to try our best not to get in trouble with anyone or anything as we look back at the biggest scandals in football during the 1990s. Before I meet tonight's guest, remember you can follow us on Twitter and on Facebook at AK90s, so do drop us a comment or picture as I always say, anything 90s hiding in your cupboards. I know a couple of did you this week, we saw some sticker albums and some old programmes. If you've got those lying around, do tweet them or we'll put them on Facebook. We do love to see them. Remember you can check us out on iTunes as well with all the old episodes from the podcast. Um, drop us a rating, drop us a like, it'd be great to hear from you. And also this month we've got a brilliant, brilliant partnership with Classic Football Shirts. uk. Um, you can get 10% off when entering the code AK90s if you go on their search, at so do that if you want to uh, get a nice, proper old-school replica shirt. I've got a QPR one from 1990, actually, and they're not just replica, they're from the time. I wore it to the last game, proper Roy Weggerly style, and also you, we're offering a special voucher as well on the Twitter account. So if you go on Twitter, um, you'll see the tweet pinned to the top of the profile. We've got £30 up for grabbing a competition. All you need to do is follow us and retweet. Uh, we'll pick the winner, and we'll announce it on next week's pod. To tonight's guests, then, who are helping me not get in trouble when we talk about scandals and using the word allegedly a lot. We've got two people that uh, have been on it before, and we say hello to one newbie. Firstly, from our first week from ITN and founder of the Alive and Kicking Janino fan club. And that's the only time we're going to mention him tonight. <laughs> I have to mention him once later on. Okay, but it's that's all right. fine. It's allowed. It's Janino. Joe Young, good evening. Good evening, Ash. Good evening. Our super sub from episode three when we talked to Lee Cabs has been rightly promoted to the first team. Thank you (laughs) He's a Millwall fan, so no stranger to scandal in the 90s Mr Rob Gallagher, good evening Good evening I've just realised we've got Millwall and West Ham with us So I'll try to, (laughs) and they're sitting next to each other So I'll try and keep them at bay Uh, Our first happy hammer of the season actually So MMA writer, Ralph Welch Thanks very much for inviting me Ash And I'll try to behave myself next to Rob Yeah, that's gonna, no fireworks for these two, that'd be good Uh, Before we do our CVs then Here's a few things that happened in the 90s this week on the 12th of October 1996, so today, Mark Bosnich gets in hot water for what looked like an offensive salute at Spurs fans. On the 13th of October 1993, England's losing Rotterdam and miss out on qualifying for USA 94. Do I not like that? Fourteenth of october nineteen ninety seven, Arsenal's Jason Crow, there's a name we've never heard again, <laughs> is sent on after just a thirty three seconds in a league cup tie with Birmingham, and on the sixteenth of october nineteen ninety five, Royal Hodgson, who's about to kick off in, in England's game, is appointed manager of Inter Milan. Uh, but let's do our 90s CVs then And of course we've had two people on already they, We get to build up your CV a little bit more So I'll start with Rob So your 90s player was Keith Stevens for it Millwall was, yeah, And right a, a brilliantly George Weah <laughs> um, As we spoke about uh, for your overall player So we're going to switch you to games So firstly, best Millwall game of the 90s? Uh, obviously, being a follower of such a
2: fantastic team Who had such you know memorable results throughout the 90s <laughs> It was so hard to choose Yeah, stay on the pitch as well um, <laughs> You know, I could have gone for a big cup win... Away at Chelsea, uh, sorry, at home, you know, away at Chelsea, away to Arsenal. But. Um, he knocked you out that yet. Oh, I've got to get it again. <laughs> <laughs> do you, do you, that's a fall in my side. But I've got to say, you've not beaten us this millennium. That's true, yeah. So uh, We're even now, I suppose. Go on, carry on. I've got to say, uh, when you're around about 13, 14, 15, you start going to home and away games and, you know, football really starts to take off for you. And this game was just a no nothing game, really. But uh, it's a landmark um, in football for the 90s. Uh, Millwall playing Brentford at the Dem. They were two-one down. Martin Rowlands and Gavin Marn, two alumni of of yep, your mob, yep, yep, um, scored well for Brentford. And uh, in the 90th minute, were two-one down, and uh, Paul Shaw equalised on the stroke of the 90th minute. Mm. And then uh, ball goes up. Lots of extra time. Um, l- you know, right bang at the end of uh, the century, I think Jules Ollen Jules was doing his Hoot and Annie countdown for the new year, and David Livermore has stuck it in the back of the net and scored the last goal of the millennium, the last goal of the 1990s. So 3 2 to Millwall, and that's my game. Good game.
1: Paul Shaw as well, good name from the 90s there. Um, game overall then, outside of the den? Um, it's for sad, reasons, really. I think that um, England's Argentina at the World Cup mm-hmm.
2: in 98, um, I think that was a transitional period. I think uh, arguably the last chance England had to win the World Cup. Um, I think there was a transition then from that old style of football to the new modern player. Um, you know, you've seen emergence of players like Owen coming to the England team. Um, obviously, there was the Beckham thing. Um, yeah, game had everything though Didn't it but it, was it was one of those games you know, If you're
1: not an England fan As a neutral It was probably fantastic to watch Because it literally Did have everything in that game
2: First 16 minutes Three goals yeah. Two
1: penalties Mike Lowen's goal That we all remember Was yeah.
2: absolutely phenomenal um, The sending off The sending off And really Let's be honest They should
1: have won it Shouldn't yeah. they no, Great game Great game Good choice there And we'll talk a little bit like that Because we'll talk Glenn Hoddle later As we're talking scandals Joe, Because you've been like before We'll go to games with you as well Gone then Best middles of games Probably going to have the word Janino in it well, well,
0: well. Um, the best, you see, both of my games. You asked me for a league game and my favourite game yeah. of the nineties, and they're both Middlesbrough games. I'm afraid, but sorry. But I think for the for the best league game, I was sort of I went and spent an hour a day looking at stuff when I should have been working. You know, writing. So we like to hear, Yeah, I sat and watched Borough goals. Um, and I looked at when we beat Man United at Old Trafford, which resulted in Bernie Slaven getting his arse out in Bin's window, the shop at home. That was yep. very famous. Uh, when we beat Chelsea at home. Janino with a diving header that's the only <laughs> time he's getting mentioned I love that he can have a diving
1: header he's smaller than me it's brilliant
0: cross cross from the left from Micklebeck <laughs> diving header Micklebeck. from Janino. unbelievable um, but the one I saw I went of and, and it's the best atmosphere I ever remember at the Riverside is um, in Division 1 as was Championship now um, Middlesbrough 6 Swindon Town nil. Um, we needed to win 6 0 to go top of the league. We were second behind Forrest, who played the night before, and they had five goals on us. And everybody in the ground, who I talked to that day, I didn't talk to 35,000 people, but you know, there were certainly a lot of people there, um, had put 6 0 onto the fact where 6 0 got down to something ridiculous like 8 1. And when, they, <laughs> when the sixth goal went in, all you saw was everybody waving their betting slips and cheering. <laughs>
1: Brilliant. Um,
0: yeah, two goals for Marco Branca, who'd just come from Inter Milan, mm-hmm. uh, two for Alan Armstrong, and two for uh, oh, Neil there you go the just great out. Name's there. Um, and, and when I watched it then, and you know Swindon were rubbish but it was just that perfect day of just Borough being really good right on it and six goals and
1: everybody going on with a few quid in the pocket yeah. for once from the football and your other game you're going to choose Middlesbrough as well yeah FA Cup semi final. I thought that might happen yeah um, <sighs> again like, as a neutral what a game another game another I hate saying, saying it has everything but it really did sending off
0: uh, goals that should have been allowed that weren't, and I'm glad it wasn't because that would have been three 0 down, three uh, nil to Chesterfield, and we would have been dead and buried. Um, dodgy decisions We talked about it last time I think That mm. small fella Falling flat on yeah. his face One of the funniest things I've went ever seen a, football you know, finish, yeah. Just a fantastic game 3 all, yeah. And um, you know, and then they scored In the last minute To take it to a replay uh, It's still the best game Of football I've ever seen no, In my life just in, And just the fact That I was stood there and I, I still get the blame For that goal The Chesterfield third goal As it looped over Ben Roberts head Because I just said So what pub are we meeting in then What pub are we going to After this <laughs> <laughs> and at which point The ball looped over Robert's yeah. head And that was the end of that so. Well you
1: got A decent replay out of it And well no Maybe it's notch the final But that's the last time We'll mention Jardino tonight mm-hmm. I promise um, so we get back to the original CV with our West Ham fan. Then, so we first of all we sum up the 90s West Ham. Go on, could be an interesting one. Sum of the 90s for West Ham, Ralph.
3: Well, I think it was a decade that you could sum up really by looking at our strikers because we started the decade with the sort of hard work and honesty of Trevor Morley, and we ended with the flair and flamboyance of Paolo Di Canio. You mm. know, who it sums up the 90s <laughs> quite nicely, though, doesn't it? Really? Well, it was really because we it was a decade where the uh, non-stop transfer carousel of Har- Harry Redknapp steadied us as a Premier League force, and we uh, we achieved a fifth place finish. Um, had some good results, got some great players in, and yeah, basically stopped being a yo-yo club and became a, a well-established mm. mid-table uh, Premier League side.
1: Mm. I always remember when you signed Kitson and Hartson, and everyone raised a few eyebrows. But they wasn't that the same day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Paul Kitson, curtains and everything. So best West Ham player then from the decade
3: well as i said it was quite a tricky one really because uh, the nature of harry redknapp has been throughout his career that he buys a whole new team every three seasons i'm a qpr so. fan as i've said i know and, uh, <laughs> yeah as you well know and um, trying to find someone who was kind of a constant through the decade was a bit of a struggle there was uh, so i came down to two one was ludek mcclosko mm-hmm. whose name was
1: misspelled without failure yeah um, he's like the like i was now I was working work in my day job a kick magazine is which is never can i ever spell that it's it's always always on yeah. countdown, isn't It really it? Yeah. is, yeah. And really I think the Clusco is was probably the same. Yeah, I, I just have
3: vivid memories of it being spelt five different ways on CFAX. <laughs> you know, every <laughs> week, every week there was another S or K added. But um, eventually, it won't surprise anyone. Certainly not the Millwall fan. I, I had to settle for the Terminator. You know, Julian Dix. He, he kind of embodied everything about that era. You know, he was uh, he was so passionate. The crowd absolutely loved him. And he scored so many vital goals mm. for us, not least penalties, but, you know, some
1: real crackers from outside the box as well. He was the heartbeat of the club. In my running memory of Julian Dix is that tackle on, on John Spencer, was it on a Monday night football? I don't think you can call it a tackle. Yeah, well, it <laughs> talked a about court the, uh, the Cameroon tackles last week at Italian 19, it was about that level. But yeah, Julian Dix, Keith Stevens and Julian Dix, that would have been a meaty t- challenging affair wouldn't it in the car park yeah probably, probably in the car you know. park. so outside of Upton Park best 90s player overall
3: well I've listened to all these podcasts and I think a lot of the, the names you know you, mm. you can't fail to agree with the likes of Cantonar and Klinsman and that but I've gone for someone who really actually uh, we probably didn't see enough of because we didn't have the blanket coverage that European football gets now and I've gone for Romario yeah who between, if you look at his statistics between 90 and 95, he was almost untouchable as a goal scorer. One, one you know, scored a goal a game with PSV in Barcelona. Uh, he had a couple of lean years and then he reinvented himself in his late 30s. Mm. An astonishing player and my... My memory of him, well, I've got two actually. The first is that he was my go to player on sensible soccer <laughs> <laughs> because the ball just stuck to his feet. He straight and up the middle, he put some. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it always goes incredible. Big head. He was one of the few players that could actually round the keeper on that game. Mm-hmm. Absolutely amazing. Um, but secondly, it was a game, I think, in the um, European Cup against Manchester United. Uh, and United got absolutely thrashed 4-0 by Barcelona. Yeah, I remember that. And we had Bruce and Pallister, who were like a colossal partnership Mm. in the Premier League, Romario, you know, he made him look like a pair of dinner ladies. Yeah, he was them, he? brilliant. Yeah.
1: Absolutely brilliant. So he's my player. And USA 94, is obviously, we'll talk about that in a further pod, but he was very much the fulcrum of that that Brazil side, along with Bibeta, wasn't and he? And 98, the yeah. old Roro partnership with yeah. Ronaldo. Fantastic. Brilliant, oh, great choice. Right, well, tonight we are talking about scandal. So, as I said, we're going to be careful what we say, um, because some of these things were allegedly and not completely found true. But... For the first point, we've got an Arsenal fan we're going to speak to on the phone, but I've kind of merged all the Arsenal stuff together. <laughs> which is no offence to Arsenal or what There's happened. so much. But there is quite a lot happened at the Highbury during the 90s that was on the the scandal side, um, particularly with two players and addictions, I suppose, as, as one of the autobiographers was called, with Tony Adams and Paul Merson. We'll start with Adams because that, that was first. And he's alcohol abuse. So I've got a couple of stories that come from research whether they've always been true i never know but these are what i've found today just just and um, some of them i actually remember as well adam's crashing a, a car into into a wall uh, when he then that's when he was first breathalyzed and arrested uh, and then the famous incident of him and the fire extinguisher in Pizza hut with ray parlor whether or not they are how true then they are but that's they were uh, two stories that led around the time that Tony Adams came out to to, say he was an alcoholic really but and even played one game he admits in his autobiography completely drunk so I'm going to start with Rob what what do you remember about that time and, and Tony Adams I just think it's absolutely fantastic you had you know
2: top Premier League footballers going out for a meal and pizza hut. I mean, he, he let That's off, what you took from that. <laughs> he let off a flare in a disabled yep. toilet and, yep. you know, because he was being taunted, I mean, to be fair to the fellow, he was probably on a few quid even back then, you know, we all like a pizza hut, I, lo- I love the ice cream factory, but what are you doing, Tony?
1: I know you're listening, come on. This was, this was probably before, though, that he, he you know started playing the piano and, and things like that, and yeah, maybe well, a pizza hut to him was the height of gourmet at the time. Perhaps,
2: I mean, But I I just think, you know, once again, it's just highlighting how wonderful the 90s was because, you know, you could go into your local, you know, pizza establishment, you know, others are available as well as Pizza Hut, but, you know, and you could abuse top Premier League players and, you know, you just don't get that anymore. I think that, you know, that common touch with the people has been lost.
3: Yeah. (laughs) Sorry,
2: you left me speeches for a second there trying to think of
1: of other pizza joints, but there are a few, but yeah, you're correct. I mean, Tony Adam kind of sums up, at an era and probably a culture at Arsenal that they've made no secret of at the time, and George Graham probably knew about. But he seemed to be the one that came out and had it worse, didn't he, Joel? I just think that it was such
0: a strange thing because George Graham at the time was seen as being such a disciplinarian at that club, mm-hmm. and yet Merson was running riot. Tony Adams was running riot. You know, it, there was lots of mad stories coming out about Arsenal every day, and he sort of think, well, was he really that much of a disciplinarian? Yeah. I think I saw something he did. Um, it was Alan Smith
1: talking um, about on um, yeah, the football, Sky Sports show. Football, yeah, football. Uh,
0: is that what it's called? Fancy football. 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 The club. football's football show was brilliant though. Back in the day, <laughs> you know, that's another nineties thing for you. Um, but um, yeah, Alan Smith was saying, you know, Ian Wright just ignored everything George Graham said. You know, he came yeah. the first three day, three games that Ian Wright played. He was trying to tell him, then he just said, oh, just get on with it. So it makes you think
1: actually what was going on at Arsenal all the time it's that sort of time wasn't they managers kind of had a blind blind eye to things didn't they I'm sure Harry Redknapp was was the same sort of character at West Ham but I mean I think Wenger changed it and and when he came in and that sort of culture died but what do you remember of Tony Adams Ralph from from that era I mean it didn't really affect his play did it because
3: it didn't at all but the first thing I remember was that I was I was 16 years old and I thought to myself so let me get this right You can work for two hours a day, get absolutely blind drunk and still be a Premier League football player. I thought to myself, where do I sign? Because that sounds like my absolute dream profession at 16 years old. But you're right, it didn't affect his play. And I think um, you mentioned Wenger there. There's a school of thought that really Wenger pretty much brought adams back from the abyss didn't yeah. he and without wenger without that change of culture that swept through english football at the time but certainly for tony adams he would not have had that amazing fairy tale finish that he did against everton when he scored on his final from league Steve Bowles
1: ball as well fantastic well what a ball player he was yeah <laughs> his only assist of his whole career what what an assist though and uh, he, like we mentioned his teammate paul merson um, i've got a brilliant quote from his autobiography here Obviously, it was alcohol, gambling, and, and drugs allegedly for Paulmas. And yeah, he got them all three. And he said the biggest issue was when he was so high most of the time, he didn't have a clue what he was gambling on. And he spent a £10,000 bet on the Eurovision Song Contest. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he got that and 5000 bet on a Bowls match as well. But whoever, you know, come on, Eurovision. <laughs>
0: I read an interview with Merson the day, um, you know, I was swatting up before I came, as you you do. And uh, Merson was, in this interview that he did with 442, I think it was, he was saying, like, you know, he'd be going to training and and snorting a couple of grams of coke on his way to training for Arsenal. And you're just thinking, blimey, what was going on in your mind? He's saying sometimes he would drive himself there and he'd get that paranoid. He'd he'd just see a car behind him and he'd just start doing U-turns because he'd think that this car was either a policeman following him or a journalist following him. I was just like It's like
1: goodness. that scene In um, Goodfellas When yeah, he's he so high <laughs> And the helicopter's Following him You can imagine Paul Merson Not quite the same As uh, Ray Liotta But <laughs> again But Merson I mean the The 93 cut final And the famous Hands he did When, yeah. he, when he was drinking There was no secret To the culture But he, he didn't Until he came out And did that famous Press conference Where he was crying Again with the curtains Classic 90's haircut <laughs> he didn't really. You probably knew there was a lot of uh, sort of drinking culture, but to the extent of what he came out, he wouldn't, you wouldn't know, would you?
2: Definitely not. I mean, he was mercurial on the pitch, and you know, I'm sure we we'll come on to it later. But up at Middlesbrough, you know, later yeah. on, he was fantastic, and all the way through, um, just a fantastic, fantastic footballer. I mean, I was reading myself today that he was going at nine brandies and a line of coke before going out before a game, and you know. And still to be able to play the way that he's played, he's one of the few players playing for the opposition I've ever seen that clapped off when substituted at the den. Mm. Um, just fantastic time in his career as well. I think when he was oh. at Portsmouth, I think that happened on a weekly
1: basis. Fantastic yeah. player, you know. And as you say, you you wouldn't think it. He's a magic man, as they as they call him these days. Um, we, we can't get away with that. Do you think the games moved on as well in terms of you could get away with it a little bit more there because the game's so much faster now and so much more athletic? Do you think back then you could slightly have a few and kind of get away with it?
3: Well, I mean, the, the there was. I mean, you could date back to the '80s when Brian Robson just legendarily had a skin yeah. fall and then he was superhuman in training the next day. Um, and throughout the '90s, that culture continued. But I think it was Wenger coming in that's kind of credited with changing that across the board, and everyone suddenly realised. That they had to raise their standards a bit. And when the foreign players started coming over in their droves for the Premier League money, they started behaving in a different way, a bit more professional. I think the game just just changed. We wouldn't be able to do it now because there's too much social media. You know, mm, yeah. you know if you walked into Pizza Hut now and saw Roy <laughs> Wegerley, you'd <he'd> ima- <laughs> imagine how he'd be mobbed. I can't imagine how I'd be Find Roy Wegerley.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Someone found him in South Africa. And they tweeted at us at the weekend. Was really? it a South African Pizza Hut? I don't, I don't know where it was, actually. Maybe <laughs> I should ask him. Wherever it is, get him on Twitter and get him on the podcast. Uh, but you must say, Adams and Merson both recovered, both, as we said, End of their career They were brilliant And they really did You know Merson has that clinic now That he's helped A lot of footballers So whatever happened In in the, in the early 90s They have covered Very well from. him Although I do always remember Tony Adams swearing At the QPR fan Two fingers sleep uh, Once <laughs> upon a time I Don't know how, what he was On that night But yeah But elsewhere at Arsenal Before we talk an Arsenal fan quickly And how it affected him um, Was George Graham Again as we said earlier Strict guy Disciplinarian <laughs> Apparently But I mean We say allegedly But he was found guilty Of Bungs, Brown envelopes, however it was given to him, but the, the transfers. and I mean, I remember as a kid thinking, even then, how just wrong. <laughs> and how just... Was he the one that got caught? Or do you think it
2: really was I th- a standard bear? I happened? think he probably was the one that got caught. I mean, allegedly, and I do stress allegedly. Yeah, this is the key word tonight. Uh, <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's been endemic across the game. I think if you look, um, you know, across Europe, especially in Italy, which seems to be, you know, the... That, well The example for all corruption Yeah You know
1: Well there's no secret to You know What happened to your vendors A few years ago So we can Yeah
2: Yeah I mean But there, there are other other High profile managers in the game Who, who yeah. manage Premier League clubs Who have done the same thing um, I, I think the only surprise Is really that he's probably Got caught Because yeah. um, You know It's only going to take An act of real stupidity Or someone breaking the chain And unfortunately for George He got found out He did He
1: paid He got a 425,000 payment Allegedly for the acquisition of John Jensen Who you know Had a decent Decent, decent career At Arsenal I think But what made me laugh And, and Paul Liddinson Swedish guy Don't really remember him At Arsenal I remember the name but, Vaguely so He collected the pizzas From pizza he <laughs> <Vagely> did Yeah <laughs> <laughs> So it was a deal Well done really There for George Wasn't it And, and Runa Hager um, well, I mean what were what your memories of this Joe of of, of the Alec? What there were first allegations and then ultimately the end of George Grahams reign oh, well, I just have
0: been you know sort of very pleased I remember Terry Venables being linked with it all as well and Brian Clough and it was all people that I actually liked so I was kind of <laughs> quite happy that they were getting allegedly getting a few backhanders here and there you know, so it, you know it just always seemed like quite a, a strange thing is, mm-hmm. is uh, especially to sort of normal punters like us is why are these people risking these massive jobs where they're getting paid a fortune Just for a few
1: extra quid it also seemed a bit seedy and a bit unseemly, really. I suppose, you know, there's so much that we don't know probably to that story as well, that that went on and, and other people. But we're gonna talk to an Arsenal fan now who experienced all that at the club and we're not picking on Arsenal, we will talk about some other scandals after we've spoken to uh Liam, our Arsenal fan who has been on the pod before. Liam, welcome back to Alive and Kicking, mate.
4: Hello, mate. Absolute pleasure, as always.
1: Good to have you on. I know you were on our, uh, was it our kit pod, wasn't it? And we talked through uh, some uh, Yeah,
4: classic
1: kits. Classic kits, which we'll be doing again at some point during the season. But we're talking scandals tonight, and we've just kind of lumped Arsenal together. As I said, we're not picking on them, but we lumped some of their scandals <laughs> together in the 90s, where we talked Tony Adams, George Graham and Paul Merson. I mean, as yeah. a fan of the club, how, how did you see them all together, first of all? I mean, how did you feel about those when it happened?
4: Um, I'll start with Tony Adams. Tony Adams was my hero when I was a kid. Um, part of me, as, a, as an adult, I've, I find like the drinking culture and things like that, I've, I find it quite amusing, I think it's quite a good story. Um, from a personal point of view, for him, um, I think he, he must, he was having read his book, he was battling against it since the mid-80s. Um, I think it all kind of amalgamated in his arrest over Christmas in 1990. Um, but it didn't stop him. Um, but I think it made him a better person in general than when Arsene Wenger came in. Uh, I think it prolonged his career. Um, and I still think he's probably our... not probably our greatest ever player. He
1: was yours, um, wasn't he, if I remember rightly?
4: It, definitely mine, yeah. yeah. Um, he, I idolised him as a kid, so... Um, I, I think he's probably our best ever captain and something we won't see again. And I don't think he played enough for England. Um, but then I think part of part of that was his alcoholism and things like that so
1: and, and Merson I mean, I mean we were saying here remember the press conference when he came out and yeah and had his tears. quite a brave
4: thing to do yeah quite you know um, to actually come out to the press like that um, that must have been heartbreaking for him and his family um, but you, fair play to him I mean it was around the time where the drinking culture was being battered out of the game um, and I think it enabled him and others ultimately to get the support they needed Um, and they do live quite a lonely life footballers I think Um, and it must be hard like when injuries take take their toll and everything like that it must be really really difficult um, because all they know is playing football
1: absolutely absolutely and then lastly George Graham I mean we're talking about the he may have been the one that got caught and there may have been others involved but he was the one that got caught how did you feel about that? I mean, it was the end of, of that reign. You know, George Graham had been so successful as Arsenal manager. We, I can imagine you were a very disappointed gooner when, when that happened and those come out.
4: It, it, it was kind of a shock. It kind of, I wouldn't say it came out of nowhere. And like you say, that I, I think it was Mike Newell that said a couple of years down the line, if he was the only one taking bungs, it, that would be miraculous because it, it must have been everywhere at the time um, uh, from a gunner's perspective yeah obviously George Graham was a, he's a great coach he instilled like you know he had the back five he built that back five um, very successful boring boring Arsenal 1-0 to the Arsenal all that um, and it was quite a shock when he left to then get lumbered with Bruce Rioch for a season <laughs> people uh, forget that
1: do not they the middle part
4: well he signed Dennis Bergkamp he so did yeah people he's forget that, legacy, but. Yeah. <laughs> Um but yeah I mean it, it quite shocking at the time. Um, I think he appealed against it and failed. He was banned for a year and then rocked up at Spurs via Leeds about three years later. So
1: and Then kind of went into obscurity. I was thinking that today. You don't really see George Graham at all these days, do you? Not no, on... I saw
4: him a couple of years Not personally, but he's on. he's I know he was at the Emirates a couple of years ago for some celebration. I think it was the 125-year anniversary. Mm. But you don't really hear from him. He, he doesn't tend to do any punditry work or anything like that. But I think he'll still be held in quite high esteem by Arsenal fans purely because of what he did for the club both as a player and as a manager as yeah, well
1: especially in 89 the name Powell Linderson does that bring back memories to you because we were just discussing one of the illegal payments was allegedly to him what we didn't remember much of him at Highbury do you remember anything of him I remember
4: him being around I believe he's a Norwegian <laughs> right back and um, I don't think he set the world alight Um he he was back up to Lee Dixon from if my memory serves me correctly um, but, yeah, I mean, I
1: don't, I don't think he'd be making any of our all-time 100 <laughs> <laughs> All right. No, Finally then, Liam, I'll, just, I'll ask you, I mean, as a fan, even now and, and back then, how much do these kind of things bother you, And in, you know, in terms of as long as the team are winning or do you care that you want these guys to be TV role models for your club and, and for, for the brand, I suppose, of Arsenal?
4: Um, I think at the time it, it, was, it was rife in football in general. I think if anyone saw the Alex Ferguson documentary last night on BBC One, he was talking about the drinking culture in the early 90s, um, which he really wanted to get out of the players. Um, part of me does think, you know, you're a professional sportsman, you're doing something that half the country would jump at the chance to do, play football for a living, being paid copious amounts of money but at the same time if they're getting the results on the pitch does it really matter
1: I think it's up I, to the fans I fan, guess it? it
4: does but yeah I, I think it kind of does because kids idolise them I mean more t- more now than before mm. um, so I, I do think they have yeah.
1: a moral responsibility I yeah, suppose is the term <laughs> isn't it
4: <laughs> yeah and, and, and I think they you know I mean the game's completely changed yeah, now That's I what think we, yeah, we've discussed. Night, it was, yeah it was generally accepted um, back then but um, I know, having read loads of football autobiographies, it's not just the Arsenal boys.
1: No, we're not picking on there. them. I think they're um, the ones that just got caught in the end, wasn't it? All came out and, and confessed. It was just happened to be those big names. Oh yeah,
4: definitely. They just um, they were unfortunate enough. Yeah, like you say, to do something so daft, they got caught. Mm. Um, like drink drive, which you know, no one condones that. I would never condone that. Um, I'm sure other players were doing that. Um, Tony Adams just happened to smash through someone's garden wall and spend Christmas in prison.
1: <laughs> well, we'll leave it on that note. Thank you very much <laughs> Thanks for joining us, Liam. We'll, we'll speak to you again soon.
4: No problem, mate. Take
1: care. Right, we're going to leave Arsenal alone now because it's not fair, uh, as we said. But good, good opinion there from an actual fan, I suppose, to get what they they thought of it. Um, we're going to move on to, before we talk to hopefully today's guest, because um, we've got a nice segue to him, actually, that I'll share in a minute. Um, I've called this a scandal, but I suppose it could be put in a, a, a few different cat, uh, categories. But Eric Cantonar, Selhurst Park, Joel. <laughs> 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 I don't need to say much more than that, do I? It was a Wednesday night. It was on Sports yeah. Night. I, there you go.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> I used to love that theme tune.
0: Um, yeah, through Matthew Simmons, I even remember his name. Yep. I, I had a picture. Here, I, yeah. I had a picture of him. I had a picture of the thing on my wall. You weren't the, the Premier League wouldn't let it be shown on television again for years and years and years. I I think it's only sort of recently you've been allowed to show it on telly again. You got that whole thing of you know should anybody be put up with getting shouted and sworn at or should you be above it? Um, I kind of think it probably should have been dealt with earlier, but who was to know that Eric Cantona was going to come running back at the block and give him
1: a <laughs> you know, a kung fu kick right to the chest. It was extraordinary, wasn't it, Ralph? I mean it's it's something we haven't. I, I had never seen someone react like that In a, in a football game I know Cantona had form in France Of doing some crazy things But that I mean I remember listening to it on the radio Actually And good old capital gold And Jonathan Pearce And him going mental As he used to back in the day I And mean, what do you remember about the night And, and the incident Well I remember uh, What Matthew Simmons claimed he said And
3: I thought Well Cantona really overreacted here Because all Matthew Simmons said was Off you go Cantona It's an
1: early bath for you Now if we take That, it, sounds, it, it. Like,
0: like, that sounds like Something somebody from the 50s would say <laughs> <laughs> That
1: it's that charming football. I hate you're not very good. It's like
0: the worst. Oh,
3: oh no! <laughs> but I mean, the amazing thing about the incident was, of course, that the the next day the papers were full of you know he was bedevilled. He was he was um, he was the the scum of the earth pretty much in the press. But that you kind of knew that there was no way Ferguson was ever going to let Eric Cantona play for another football club. No yeah. matter what he'd done, you knew that Ferguson knew he still had a treasure there and he was going to forgive and he was going to manage the PR situation brilliantly, which he did, and he'd make Eric Cantona come back and he'd win more trophies.
1: And of course, Cantona came back in the game against Liverpool and scored. scored. Yeah. The page <laughs> <then>. <laughs> yeah. Do you think if it was a different manager, Rob, that we may have seen the end of said whatever club he was at so that's for example he was a different man united manager Would you think it'd be the end of his career but because alex ferguson was so good at dealing with those situations it it the fairy tale if you like continued didn't it absolutely i mean leeds were foolish enough to yeah. get rid of him you know about, yeah.
2: before yeah um absolutely I, I just think that the real thing that ferguson had was complete control of that club from top to bottom and he knew that there were certain players in his squad that no matter what they'd done, he could give them carte blanche and they could go out and you know, literally murder someone and they were not leaving that <laughs> club. Um, I think the most impressive thing about it all, I mean, there's a lot of brave supporters out there who will shout obscenities to the players and things like that, but the next day when we were in school, the thing I remember was, you're just rubbing your hands because you're thinking canton has got a press conference coming <laughs> and you know he's going to come up with something good and to be fair do you want to read the quote i'll go for it he didn't fail to i won't disappoint. do a french accent
1: because that's that would be terrible on. when the seagulls follow the trawler it's because they think sardines will be thrown into the sea thank you very much <laughs> and who can argue with that i no, mean no, it's brilliant it's followed him around his career hasn't it i mean he got 120 hours of community said he was actually arrested and convicted but it result in a two-week prison sentence But it was overturned And he got 120 hours of community service Which is spent coaching children At United's training ground I mean, how brilliant would that be? I mean, for, for a 10-year-old Oh no, that convict's coming to train us today And it's Eric Cantona yeah, but what, Would he be allowed to do that now With CRB checks and all that sort of thing? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't think you get away with that today But um, I mean, it kind of I'm not saying he should be forgiven for But he was, football kind of forgave Eric Cantona for that, didn't he? Well it was only a Palace fan (laughs) Oh wait (laughs) I know we've got rivals here tonight Um, But football did Didn't they They embraced it They moved on Whereas I thought that night You'd never see Eric football. I think he added to
0: his mistake And added to his uh, The whole aura around him That you know He was always sort of You know Everybody talks about The the goal against Sunderland Where he stood there But that was just another part Of that whole thing His aura His arrogance He was untouchable You know And he found his home At Man United And like you say You know There was no way He was going anywhere Mm. And and you know
3: you have to remember that football's got a long history of forgiving brilliant players. Yeah. We will happily put it in a compartment and never talk about it again, and only talk about how great those players are. I mean, we're going to talk about one or two of them coming up, but uh, that's what we do. And he was a genius. And I think realistically, I think every football fan in the land, when he came back, was glad to see him yeah. because yeah. he lit up the Premier League. Yeah, but everybody
0: well, did like him. It, it just a universal popularity, wasn't it? Everybody was, unless you were a Liverpool fan, I suppose, but or a Leeds fan. But everybody. I mean, did. I remember seeing him. Uh, uh, uh,
3: Upton Park uh, it was Paul Ince's return and Paul Ince got an absolutely terrible reception but
1: well, Upton that, Park yeah no. very strange <laughs> no. very strange yeah yeah
3: all's forgiven now
1: Paul um,
3: and uh, all the Man United players were warming up except for Eric Cantona who just did his own thing on the other
1: mm. side of the pitch and that kind of just summed him up yeah. he was a mm. law unto himself but he was a genius as we talked about in a previous pod. he was a maverick and probably the best but do we know the last time he played at Old Trafford yes Go on. Was it in David Booth's testimonial? Oh, he's read, he's done his research. Oh, it was in David hey Booth's yo. testimonial, and we're going to talk to uh, former Coventry defender David Boost right now. Uh, David, welcome to Life and Kick In. Oh, hiya. How are you thank doing? You. Yeah, good, thank you. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we'll, we'll take you back to the 90s then. Um, you were a Coventry City player in, in the 90s. How did your move to Coventry to come back, and, and what are your first memories of the club?
5: Um... I was um, playing non-league football, and um, a former player, Barry Powell, was playing for a team called Moore Green in the Southern Premier, and he was um, also something to do with um, Coventry City at the time. I think he was a a bit of a scout and that, and he recommended me to um, uh, Terry Butcher, who was manager at the time, and uh, he came down and watched me play uh, again, which I happened to score in, And, and then they invited me down for a week's training. And then I played a couple of reserve team matches. One was against Man United at Old Trafford. And, um, and then, uh, after those couple of games, um, we talked about a contract. But then Terry Butcher got the sack. So I was sort of left in limbo a little bit. And, uh, luckily for me, though, uh, Don Howe, who's the assistant manager, he, he took over as manager and obviously was aware of me going on trial and things like that. So, uh, he, uh, sort of honoured the deal we talked about and, uh, I then signed um in uh, I think it was in ninety one nineteen
1: ninety one it was what do you remember of that Coventry team and i mean, I mean it must have been a massive step for you for, to come from sort of what the non league to, to Coventry and, and some big players what what do you remember about that team and some of the the guys you played with
5: um i think the thing that Coventry obviously was the first team i I did trial out quite a few teams um over the sort of previous four years but i was twenty four at the time so it was, it was sort of the last chance sort of thing so as soon as they Started um, talking about a contract and that. I, you know, wanted to, you know, I liked the, what they were talking about, and um, I'd seen that they got players before from non-league like mm. Andy Pearce and Sean Flynn. Um, so I knew I'd, I'd sort of, you know, have a, a fair chance of, um, you know, getting along better with them with their because they, you know, they seemed to like that sort of player that um, was out there. And um, the, the, bit, the biggest thing for me though was, was fitness. So when I signed in January. Um, it must have took me six months to uh, just to get used to the fitness side of it. You know, you getting used to training every every day and then and then playing. It was reserve team football then, so it wasn't weekend football, which which is what I was used to. So it took me quite a while to just to get up to the pace of it.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, and do you remember? What, I mean, who were the guys that that stood out for you the player was? I mean, I remember it was guys like Peter In Love, Roy Wegerley. I mean, yeah, was, was it so, guys like that?
5: Yeah, so after I after I'd been there, sort of twelve months, it was players like that came in, and uh, um, so the, uh, Peter Love was playing in the reserves when I first went there. So I'd obviously, you know, come through with him. Um, Roy Wegley was obviously signed. Um, I think he was part of an exchange with uh, when Kevin Gallagher went uh, with Blackburn at the time. So you know, you got sort of a, a player as sort of a, you know technically gifted as um, as Roy Wegley was. You know, and then you just had the sh- sheer skill and you know sort of fear of nobody with uh, Peter Winlove. Uh, players like John Williams, the Flying Postman, uh, Bobby, <laughs> Bobby, Bobby Gold brought him in, and again he he had a non-league background. Um, and then there was experienced professionals like uh, Stuart Robson. Uh, Kenny Samson was there for a uh, season with us as well. Um, Robert Rosario, Peter Arthur was playing at the back, so there was, uh, it was was good experience and, and felt bad at the time. Bobby Gould had picked him up from um, Millwall for five hundred thousand, so you know he proved out to be a you know a, a great player to uh, to come into the
0: side. All That's... I can think about is every time you mention in big players from Coventry City, I have just got Mick Quinn. <laughs>
5: <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, <laughs> Quinn, he got me, He came on loan to us and had an amazing scoring rate. <laughs> and there was another guy called Paul Cook, and the two of them, two scousers together, they just, they just they just clicked well, and that was the sort of era when Phil Neal. So that was a bit later on. Sort of, you know, when I got my chance in sort of 94, 93,
1: 94 season. There's Some good names there. We can't talk the nineties as well with uh, a subject that you've probably talked about your whole life since it's happened. The injury at Old Trafford. I mean, you've probably asked this question a million times, but even now, what what do you remember about it?
5: Uh, everything's hard not to with YouTube and mm. and stuff like that. Pictures. It it took me quite a while to uh, even look at anything while I was in recovery for the first sort of six months I didn't want to I didn't know I wasn't going to play then so I didn't want to see um you know the pictures to remind me and stuff like that I just wanted to concentrate on trying to get back um then when I found out for sort of six months later I couldn't play again I wanted to have a look and find out why I couldn't play again you know and uh, you know and that's when it sort of dawned on me that you know just the sheer timing of the of the tackle and you know sort of being in the I was, in the, I was obviously in the right place because we, we had a corner. So uh, obviously it was the wrong place the, and timing with the, the two challenges that came in either side. So it, it, it was just one of them things. It was um, pretty horrific. But you know, here I am, sort of uh, you know, 19 years later, and you know, it's, uh, I always think positively about everything. And it's better to be remembered for something than nothing. So. Uh, you know, it does get dragged up every time someone breaks a leg, but it also gives, um, with the, the job that I'm doing now, with Sky Blues in the community, it gives a bit of, you know, awareness to that, and uh, and which is what we're all, we're all about, you know, doing things in the community now.
0: Do you ever, if there is another player with a terrible injury like yours, do you ever sort of offer any advice, or do have any players come to you and asked how you've coped with it?
5: I, I, I do, but what what happens is I. Because of the extreme circumstances found in mine, with you know the infection I got uh, in hospital of MRSA and stuff like that, and the fact that I gave up, I had to give up football. So it's not something I want to. Then you know, when people compare it to mine, the first thing I always do, and there's been a few over the over the years, you know, I'll just drop them a, a quick a quick line saying, look, you know, people are comparing it to mine. Obviously, I had to give up. There was, you know, umpteen complications with mine. You know, I'm sure if, if you haven't got those complications, you'll be back playing. You know, within within no time. I always sort of try to get that across when people try to compare them. You know, there was um, uh, Alan Smith and uh, you know Leeds when he sort of dislocated his ankle and stuff like that. There was um, you know more recently Luke Shaw and I'm, I'm sure if people see them referring them to my injury then they think oh God, I've, you know I might not play again. And he, so that's the first thing I try and do is reassure them that. I had so many complications with mine. The actual break was, you know, the, the least of my worries.
1: Mm. I was like, going to ask you that, actually. If, if it happened today, with, bearing in mind that, that how medicine has advanced um, since and, and those guys have come back, is it would it have been different or was it down to the complications that you had? to?
5: It, it was just, yeah, I, I, I contracted MISA, and, um, and that's sort of an anti-healing disease um, uh, infection. And it was the tendons in my life leg which um, got infected so much they had to be cut away so basically that meant I couldn't pull my foot up I was left with a drop foot so the actual break as I say I, at the moment I play over 35s football I've been mm. playing for you know sort of 13 years now um, but did compete professionally and at that time you know I think I didn't kick a ball you know for a good five six years afterwards you know so it was um you know it was just that that miSA which I caught it, it Resulted in attendance So there's nothing to do with the actual play. The actual play, you know, was healed and healed well. And as I say, he stands me in good stead at the moment for when I'm, you know, exercising and you know, I'm playing football.
1: Well, well, ended on a, a, a more positive note. Like you said, you're a much more positive person, which is great. And. You know, great what you did in the 90s before the, uh, the injury as well but I just wanted a quick word on your testimonial because it was old travel wasn't it and a full house I mean how did that make you feel and as I've <laughs> just said here Eric Cantona's last game as well so did that make you yeah, feel a little it was, bit better
5: yeah it was the, the, the whole week leading up to it was at Highfield Road not old travel oh ok yeah um, uh, the, the Coventry had gone in their usual relegation battle towards <laughs> the end of the season and we actually went and won at Spurs on the last day of the season 3-1 and Obviously, one of my best mates at the time was Paul Williams, and you know we, my game was on the Friday the week after. And we were just praying that you know if we if we, if we could stay up, then we knew that you know be a good turnout. Um, and then they they put in a hell of a performance at, uh, at White Hart Lane and won three one. And then all of a sudden there was queues around the um, Highfield Road uh, as it was then, you know, trying to buy tickets for the Friday. And it's I think it still is someone told me one day it was the first time that. Um, a testimonial match had been sold out prior to the actual game. Wow! Because um, obviously a lot of testimonials rely on people turning up on the night, but we'd actually sold all the tickets before then. So, uh, and then obviously United were bringing down a you know a, a full strength side, and uh, we didn't know at the time that it was Cantona's last game. And um, my, one, my uh, uncle was um, involved on the night with sort of organising and that, and he went in the dressing room afterwards and just said, "Oh, you know, can we have a shirt to auction, you know, or we'll raffle?" and uh, he didn't know too much about football, but they gave him our shirt and <laughs> got him to sign it. Brilliant. And then and we just said, oh, God, we're not that. We're not asking that. And uh, I've still got it now, with me, So it's uh, something I'll, uh, I'll treasure. But the whole night, you know, people like Paul Gascoigne, uh, George Best made an appearance um, there, Les Ferdinand. And, you know, it was just great that they all came out for that, for that night, and especially the people of Coventry and that, uh, because they just turned it into a superb night.
1: Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for taking time to talk to us, David. No problem. Cheers. Cheers. Yeah,
5: thanks. Bye.
1: Well, it's good to see him in such positive light, isn't it, after one of the, probably one of the, the iconic in a bad way images, wasn't that, of the 90s, that, that leg break? Did you just remember anything that can make Peter Schmeichel wince? Cried, didn't he? Yeah, I think mean, he yeah, pretty yeah. much aren't cried mean, on the football good. pitch. Yeah, and we've got to move on. Um, Firstly, I must apologise that game there at game was at old. Tra- it wasn't at Old traffic, it was at Eiffel Road. So sorry about that. But we got the gist of what I was trying to the segue <laughs> so I was making. We're moving um, on. Yes. Yeah, so we've got before we run out of time, we've got a couple more things, uh, more scandals we'd like to talk about uh, in the nineties. One is one I hate talking about only because it's such a horrible subject, and one that I can't really ever think exists when one person could do it, and that's match fixing. Because as we've discussed earlier about Italy, a lot of that was down to a collection allegedly of people, but. In 1994, there was three, well, very well-known 90s footballers in Bruce Grobbler, the Liverpool goalkeeper, Wimbledon's John Fashnu, and uh, the goalkeeper Wimbledon's or Hans Sagers, who were accused of match-fixing. Particularly a game, I remember rightly, Bruce Grobbler against Newcastle, wasn't it, when Andy Cole scored a hat to it? I mean, do you believe it can happen, match-fixing? I'm I'm sure there are, footballers were approached, but do you think these guys can, uh, goalkeeper, yes, but someone like John Fashnu, how much can he influence a game if, indeed, he was... caught up in
2: it I don't don't know I mean you know it's disappointing I think you know bungs is one thing you know we talked about Graham taking um, you know brown envelopes for signing players that's one thing and you can sort of accept that but when you've got paying supporters coming along who you know want to see a good game of football and you know people feel let down by this sort of thing and you know it happens on every level you know I was looking into the game today and I'm sure we all remember the Caribbean Cup group stage 1994 and you know <laughs> oh, I, was, I was just thinking about that this morning <laughs> you know it, you know it's happening there and you can sort of expect it but when it actually you know comes to Premier League, and really, I mean, fashion. You, I think, when this all come out, a, a sign for for Villa, yeah. And you know, it's sort of more or less put a damper on the end of his career. And someone Until
1: like go obviously. Oh, obviously, Bloody Edges.
2: You know, but someone like Grobler, who had such a fantastic career, such a fantastic goalkeeper, and you look at him in that light now. And Hans Sagers, who, well, you know, Steady Eddie. Steady Eddie, yeah. yeah. I think it's fair to say. It's just so disappointing and I think, you know, unfortunately it still goes on today, I think, but I think something's got
1: to be done really. Yeah, like I say, it's a difficult thing. I mean, you mentioned it there, Rob Raff, do you think that stigma stays with those players? Do you remember that more of those three now than perhaps especially for Grobler, I mean I mean the the wobbly legs in the 70s and I mean I remember him fighting with Steven Mannerman on the Merseyside derby they used to make me crack up but is that <laughs> something a stigma that unfortunately has stayed with them even though they were cleared it will stay with them for the rest
3: of their lives there's no you can't talk about those three players now without at some point getting on to match fixing and that's that is really sad because the the charges were never proven but um, I think I think Rob said it best everyone felt let down because in English football we'd always prided ourselves mm. on honesty honesty on the Pitch, you know, we used to sneer at the people across the channel that did the dirty tricks, the diving, and waving the yellow cards, and all those sort of things. The bribery of the Andaltec referee when when Forest were knocked out yeah. of the European yeah. Cup. We always sneered at them, and then when it happened on our shores, there was you know there was a sense of disbelief. We just couldn't believe what we were seeing,
1: especially at a time when Sky had made the Premier League yeah. well, into this. when I mean, we were only early days as well. Mm. In the you know the conglomerate as it is now was just starting, wasn't it? it and it, it was
3: rebuilding English football from Mm. the dark days of the 80s they ploughed all those millions in we were all along for the ride everything we were loving it the Monday night football all the razzmatazz and then suddenly you think that what you're seeing on a Saturday afternoon might not be true and I just remember being an absolute shock Mm. Do do
1: you think that it can happen do you think players can do not saying did it happen? Did they would take buns? But can player like one player make that much difference to him? A, a goalkeeper, obviously. I, yeah,
0: I mean, I imagine they can, but it, it, it's. I, I just don't see it happening now. Mm. The interesting thing I remember about Grubala is that um, obviously when he went to when he went to court, he was found not guilty. But then there was he, he decided in his infinite wisdom to sue the son, and uh, he won the first case against the son. I think he won yeah. half a million quid. But then it went. Then the son appealed. And uh, went to another high court judge who just basically said, you can win one pound off the sun and you can pay all their costs and everything. So he ended up being half a million out of pocket, even though he won the case. It cost, it cost him a pound. But I read a quote today from him which said, he, you know, he came to England with a tenner in his pocket. Um, he got a pound from the sun. He's got no money now. So he's, he's nothing bad for nine quid. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> they were cleared of those... Um, uh, allegations eventually as well as the the malaysian businessman as well so it's something that that we'll never know we'll get to the bottom of what happened between those three and how how true those allegations were but like we say it has happened since and we really do hope it is something that we don't see occurring in the game again um we are going over time already so there is one more big scandal i wanted to talk about um, before we mention any little bits at the end that guys want to add as well and that's Glenn Hoddle we mentioned earlier about uh, the 98 World Cup when we were talking about England and Argentina now Glenn Hoddle's reign as England manager on the pitch for me remembered in a very one of the, other than Gazza Trash in his uh, waiting room during the the build-up I mean it's, it was a good team like we said earlier probably the the best team to we might get as close to the World Cup than before but obviously it ended with that quote which I'll say now it's you and I have been physically given two hands and two legs and two half-decent brains. Some people have not been born like that for a reason. The karma is working for another lifetime. I have nothing to hide about that. It's not only for people with disabilities. You sow what you have to reap. Now, this, this was quoted by Matt Dickens by The Times. Ben Hodder has obviously said since that it was misquoted and it was paraphrased, but I remember this being major because this week he was sacked for non-footballing reasons. It was a reason that he was very controversial, but how right was the decision really to sack him for non-footballing reasons? I think he... You see these sort of sackings all the time now with
0: Twitter and people Mm. getting outraged online. And I think this was the first one of those kind of sackings, those people power sackings and, you know, and the voice, you know, your voice wasn't as easily heard as it is now online. Whereas then the outcry was so big that he had no, he couldn't possibly stay in that job. Mm. But yeah. I mean, I think you have to say that if if you remember that we'd gone from
3: the high of '98 that we all thought we'd been robbed and we were thinking, "This is the next generation of England." And then we'd we'd lost to Sweden. We'd had a ball draw with Bulgaria, mm. and we'd we you know we'd had a pedestrian win over Luxembourg. And the press had decided to turn against Glenn. Yeah. you know he, he wasn't a people person. Everyone knew that. Um, that's why he had John Gorman working alongside him most of the time. And there was that feeling. That perhaps, uh, that's what he said himself, there was an area of the press that wanted him gone. And what was interesting was that the reaction over the channel in France and Italy was one of disbelief. They couldn't believe we were getting rid of a guy for non-footballing reasons. But then again, you know, Italy uh, elected Silvio Berlusconi, so <laughs>
1: perhaps
2: we shouldn't be surprised. <laughs> too much too soon, though, for Glenn Hoddle. I mean, he's another one in a long line of England managers who's Do, probably been
1: promoted to the There was nobody else job, available you know, at the time, yeah. was
0: there? I think when you Should went from Venables. Venables. Should have
1: kept well, he was the one of scandals. That's yeah, the, yeah. another one. That someone mentioned on Twitter as well. Andy Roxwell on Twitter said, you know, we won't go into that, but he was another one involved in, in courtroom and drama and the with ultimately led to his, he came to Middlesbrough and he kept us up. He's, he's a, he's a, a, a hero, wonderful he's man. A hero yeah. at the borough. We're going back to Hoddle. I mean, I know he, he has his beliefs, but surely there was something in his brain when whatever version he gave the journalist at the time thought, hang on, hang on a second, I really shouldn't be saying this. I think really, you know, if you're in a job like that, you need to be professional. And I think
2: there are probably people in football now who hold yeah. racist or sexist or whatever beliefs. Um, but you got to keep it to yourself. And you shouldn't let that. Football uh, at the time was changing into more and more of a business. And even at the England national level, with that exposure to media and you know that everything you say is going to get picked up upon... It is ugh, ridiculously foolish what he's done, um, but it was a shame because, as you say, he was trying to play football the right way. I've read something from Gary Neville who said that um, he used to go around and put his hands on the players. And Paul Merson said that the reason that he scored his penalty, he missed a penalty for Middlesbrough at Sheffield United, and Don't uh, remind me, come on. <laughs> <laughs> that was a and, low blow. <laughs> and and had to go, you know, it was taking a, a penalty against Argentina in the World Cup, and Glenn came up to him and put his hands on his chest and said. You will score. And he said, as soon as he said that,
1: you know he knew he was going to yeah. score
2: which is fantastic because you're instilling that, that belief, belief yeah. in the players but
1: on the other hand you can't go around saying things out that it was down the line of the Eileen Drury imaging. that was the doubt, the beginning and the end for, for Hoddle the Eileen Drury because they wasn't allowed in English football was it a faith healer? Well I mean that was the thing that was the sign of the times wasn't it we just didn't tolerate
3: anything that was different from the narrative um, whereas if you actually look at players now quite a few of them like Merce uh, one or two others actually said that they, they got some benefit from talking to Eileen Drury but that wasn't the narrative um, people disapproved of it. We liked up and down football <laughs> managers. You know, we liked we liked tell You know, we didn't like the way, or the press didn't really like the way Glenn was was behaving, and he wasn't, he just wasn't a brilliant PR man. Mm. I mean, R- Rob just said, said there that he, you know. Uh, managers wouldn't say that now But I think somewhere Malky Mackay is probably Nodding his head
4: <laughs> <Yeah>. saying,
3: <laughs> Turning his phone off as we speak yeah. <laughs> I, I wish I'd listened to this podcast yeah. Why didn't I listen to yeah. this
0: podcast? I think it's possibly robbed us of some big characters as well, you know. Mm. Looking down the line, is everybody I mean, is that scared to say a thing? Yeah. And you know what Glenn Hoddle said was completely out of line. But there's a lot of people now who just watch everything they say, and you, you know we might even be yeah. robbed of qu- quotes and yeah. characters. Do you think that's cetera, why
1: FA tend to now go for someone? No offense to Roy Hodgson, great CV, but he's very much a quiet, conservative man. Who's he won't expect controversy from Roy Hodgson, would you?
0: No, but I don't think that's the reason why they way
1: for Roy Well, Glenn Hoddle last in Legacy left us with Kevin Keegan. So, <laughs> after <right>. that. yeah, <laughs> Cheers for that, Glenn. Mm. Um, before we go then, is there anything else we have? I mean, I want to quickly mention Grimsby Town for um, a long time a uh, fan of not just the show But the book Paul Benson Who's a big Grimsby fan Loves to talk about Ivan Bonetti And Brian Laws And <laughs> was it Thrown plate A chicken that got thrown at him Yeah yeah, In the dressing room In the dressing room I may mean, just remember Bonetti's big swollen eye didn't, didn't they come out And do a press conference yeah. And it
0: was arm round He's my mate After all I've Things, got loads of Italian mates I mean,
1: cause it, happened, <laughs> it happened to Grimsby I don't think people It didn't get the national coverage <laughs> It probably would have done If it was a bigger club But I'll start with Joe Anything else that kind of sticks out in the nineties scandal wise.
0: Well, and I just we mentioned it earlier on, you know, when the microphone was off. But I just remember, you know, when we we had Paul Merson at Middlesbrough and he lived with Andy Townsend, and then when we signed Mister Gascoigne, um, Brian Robson thought it was a great idea for
1: Gascoigne to go and live with Merson. And so. We've, we've <laughs> retrospectively decided that ITV Two need to go down there and go through time to film that as a, a brilliant new reality TV show. Ralph, anything that sticks out for
3: you? Oh, I think when Arsenal played Sheffield United in the FA Cup and they scored the. goal Goal, um, that was um, Where they Where they played on And Sheffield United oh, Sportsmanship they have Yeah mm. And everyone suddenly t- Started talking about Sportsmanship And there's that famous Shot of Steve Bruce Waving He, yeah. he was waving His players off Like they were A barbarian horde <laughs> Off the pitch lads Off you yeah. come No it was wasn't it who,
1: who It was Canu yeah, Who yeah, scored who from realize,
3: uh, Overmars yeah. Pass yeah. Didn't realize. Um, And I, I was with a Sheffield United fan In a pub at the time And he was up
1: You know Cheering As if he
3: was there Himself
1: Moral. Cheering the yeah. of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Come on, Steve. It's like Steve Bruce at a wedding, isn't it? If you've seen that Twitter feed. And finally, Rob, anything that sticks out for you? I mean, was, I mean we could talk Mirror all day, and we haven't even covered the hooliganism, but. With, I, mean, I mean, misunderstood is not. It's not. Not just at Millwall, but I mean, in the nineties, we it wasn't as rife in the eighties, but it still existed, didn't it? Yeah,
2: definitely. But I think that you know the biggest scandal from the nineties uh, that sticks out for me is uh, probably David Beckham's sarong. <laughs> um, <laughs> what you're doing, mate? You look like a Victorian toilet
1: roll cover. I mean, it was. It, <sighs> I think old, I think the old matching lever with Victoria was worse. But thank you, guys. I think we've covered everything and not quite got ourselves in trouble there. I think I think we did okay. Yeah, the
0: lawyers will come through. You, yes fine any? yeah
1: <laughs> it's um yeah talk to david fraser who owns uh west 12 media maybe <laughs> on the pod next week anyway as we talk uh, best goals of the 90s so i get to talk about travis and Claire's bicycle kick all night so look forward to that until then thank you rob thank you ralph thank, thank, thank you it. joel thank, thank you. you keep it 90s
0: this podcast is a west 12 media and verbal media, media production alive and kicking is proudly supported by classic football shirts the home of classic rare and retro football shirts For 100% genuine non-reproduction retro shirts, head to classicfootballshirts.co.uk and use the bonus code AK90s to receive a 10% discount on your order.